1: Colonel Kurtz's path at New Mung Ba, when you find the colonel infiltrate his team by whatever means available, and terminate the colonel's command. Terminate? Terminate Is extreme prejudice.
2: My orders say I'm not supposed to know where I'm taking this boat, so I don't. But one look at you and I know it's gonna be hot.
0: Pick your boat up and put it down like a baby right where you want it.
2: This is the first of the night. Air calves, son.
0: We'll come in low out of the rising sun. And about a mile out, we'll put on the music. It scares the hell out of the slopes. My boys love it.
2: smell of napalm in the morning smells like victory I'm oh, oh, I'm here man this is better than disneyland and we got to go up there so you can kill one of our own guys? You think you're so bad, huh? They're all dead,
1: stupid. Who's the commanding officer here? And you.
2: you? He was close. He was real close. I couldn't see him, but I could feel him. These are all his children, man, as far as you can see. They think you've come to, uh, to take him away, and I hope that isn't true. Could we uh, talk to Colonel Kurtz? You don't talk to the Colonel, uh, well,
1: well you listen to him. Are you an assassin? Hmm. I'm a soldier. You're an errand boy sent by grocery clerks.
0: Alright guys, Jimbo here. Um, before we get started on this episode, um, we did have a new review that I just found in my email, um, so I'd like to go ahead and put this at the beginning. Um, it's from April 9th, 2021. It's from Water Bubbles 995. The title is Peaked Interest. It's, it gave us a five star. And it says, just recently got into this. The back and forth banner plus the information facts that I never heard before kept me invested. The only flaw, in my opinion, is the opener. Not the beginning disclaimer, but the opener. It takes so long to get into the actual talking, I first thought they were doing a podcast version of Mystery Science Theater 2000. If I wasn't driving when I first listened to this, I would not have given this a chance and changed it after the first 30 seconds. Again, this is my personal opinion and preference, hence why I am still giving this a five-star signed, Water Bubbles 995. Well, first of all, Water Bubbles, thanks for listening. Um, Thanks for giving us a chance to stick with us. Um, One thing about our podcast, we will always have the disclaimer at the beginning. Then we will always play our theme music. And then I try to play the original trailer as close to the original trailer that I can find. And then I usually throw out a, a question to Kyle and to Terrence. Um, so you just give them a little you know breakers, uh, get the flow of the show going and then we dive into the uh, episode. Um, and like you, I do have a very long drive to work. I drive two hours one way to work and then two hours on the way home. so I do like my podcast a little longer um, so in the future if you're listening if anybody's listening, um, just remember that it'll probably be about five minutes before we actually get into the actual episode, maybe even ten minutes um, just to clean and tidy some stuff up but once again, we thank you for sending us a review. Um, and as I said, we will read them on the air. Um, so I just wanted to throw this at the beginning of the episode. So Water Bubbles 995, thank you, whoever you are, for sending in the review. And with that, let's just go ahead and start the show. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo. And once again, I'm joined by my fellow colleagues and friends, Kyle and Terrence. Kyle, Terrence, how are you guys doing today? We're doing good. I smell the. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Yeah, too bad I didn't like the rest of this movie. <laughs> and <laughs> i tired right? as usual. <laughs> <laughs> tired, t- tired Terrence. Um, before we get started, instead of throwing a question out today, we would like to take this moment for Kyle. Yes, the youngest person who got called out on Facebook by Mr. C. Kevin Donegan about an error that this young kid made during our recording of yeah. Star Wars. So, Kyle, we're going to give you this opportunity, this platform to show your remorse and apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm a bad boy who does not know movies, <laughs> and my nerd cred is
2: forever solid. Um, I will retreat into a cave where I will never come back out again, <laughs> but until that time, I will just be in sorrow that I said Peter Cushing was Dracula and not Van Helsing <laughs> in the original movies. Um, I'm embarrassed <laughs> and ashamed, and uh, I blame.
0: Terrence. <laughs> and don't worry, we will be giving him 30 lashes as soon as this episode is over for as you. As deserved. See Kevin O'Neill. So thank well, you again for we'll listening. Right. So yes, we, he didn't even know you put that on the Facebook chat, so I thought I'd make him publicly uh, do it on audio form for you so you can have this As, as a small baby, I don't go on Facebook very often. <laughs> as a memento. When uh, I do, I get roasted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, even Terrence is going to start roasting you now. When I used to roast Terrence, now we got somebody even lower <laughs> to toast. Exactly. So that's why. Bottom of the totem pole, such as so, well, as you I might have hear. seen or guessed or heard so far, we will be doing uh, the heavy, heavy movie of Apocalypse Now. Now, before we get too far into this, uh, parents with children, this is your typical war movie um there's of course there's violence um but there's also some other stuff in there that may not be suitable for younger children so we want to give that warning out if you're listening with your kids and there's some stuff in this movie that you we're going to talk about that you may not want them to know um that you could turn it off now listen to it and then decide for yourself if you want to listen to it so with that being said the warning's over and we're going to jump into apocalypse now and this is known as the 28th greatest movie of all time. All, all time. time. And I don't know where they got that, but we'll get there. Hi, <laughs> hey, Terrence. Take it away. All right. Apocalypse Now. I
1: stated, this movie's rated R. Um, I've been meaning to add that in, and I always forget. No, I'm going to start. But even saying though they've the been on your
0: notes since the beginning of time, I know. you just always skip over uh,
1: So, yes, Apocalypse Now rated R. Release date the 15th of August, 1979. Um. Interesting note: This was supposed to come out April seventh, nineteen seventy-seven, uh, but production just took forever. There was a lot of roadblocks with this. Um, they originally started filming in March twentieth, nineteen seventy-six, and it took them to seventy-nine to get this all wrapped up and done. So that there was, it'll pop up in you know your guys's facts and stuff. But uh, yeah, th- this was. This we movie was a, str- out. Was yeah, a yeah. struggle it, to get it done. It was a real big In struggle.
0: every facet. <laughs> well, even, I don't think Mother Nature wanted them to like, get it com- done either
1: because there's typhoons about, and all that right? going on. <laughs> and it's funny, we complain about delays now. It's like a two-year delay. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we're looking at a budget of, uh, originally, it was a budget of $12 million. Uh, but after it was done filming, they ended up spending $31.5 So More than double. Heavily over budget. Uh which is other stuff we'll get into as we go along. Um, uh, but it was also part of sort of the stress and uh, anxieties that came with the whole set, and especially for Coppola, mm-hmm. uh, who, <laughs> who during the film was so stressed out that he suffered epileptic seizures, uh, he had a nervous breakdown, and had also allegedly did... Uh, threatened co- to commit suicide like three times
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, this this not only w- did it take forever to film and like a lot of uh, set problems and stuff but there were a lot of uh, uh issues as well just like with like just stress wise and mental stability of everybody just getting this done
2: and I, I would put side note like, although i think this movie's very good absolutely not worth that at all i don't care like if you're in any place in your life where you're working that hard on anything Maybe stop.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think a lot of that contributed to Marlon Randall in this movie too. Of course, because he was very hard to work with, and we'll get to that later. Yeah, too. we'll get to that later for sure. Now yeah.
1: it is to note that uh, Coppola put everything into this, and when I mean everything, the thirty million came from his own, own pocket. pocket. Yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. if he this movie didn't make it, he would be done. Uh, yeah. So he, a lot was riding on this, and that added to the stress of this movie, uh, especially for Coppola. Yeah. You know, right uh Writer,
0: so, nothing you know, right, or yeah, die, right. Just, oh my yeah, God, he even mortgaged his house, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> and and the Napa Valley winery to finish the film. I was like he gave everything, man,
2: really yeah. did give everything, he really um, needed the project and it paid off for him,
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's that's part of it was uh, uh he planned for an initial fourteen week shoot for the movie in the Philippines in the spring of uh nineteen seventy six uh with the schedule, like you were saying, the typhoon happened. Uh, it nearly ruined all of the set and equipment, uh, and it forced production to shut down for eight weeks. Uh, then he continued to shoot with uh, just just recklessly, just trying to shoot whatever he could, uh, just to get something. Um, uh, and that that was all big part of the pushing of the filming. Crazy stuff. So truly oh, yeah. over the top. Yeah. Uh, now we have uh, the numbers. Which, there we go. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I just talked about the budget. I'm jumbling myself in my own notes. little mix around, but we'll get there, everyone. <laughs> we'll Try to stick with right. me. It's so Opening me. weekend, Interns. it made uh, 118. Uh, I think I wrote down my numbers wrong. Opening weekend. Yeah. I, I guess it just it really bombed opening weekend. I'm pretty sure I wrote that down right. Yeah, yeah. So opening weekend, it did not do well at all. Like really, really bad. Um, one hundred and eighteen thousand, <laughs> uh, which woefully If for four hundred thirty-two, if you count for a uh, thousand, if you count for inflation, so just just really bad. Uh, but it did come back. Uh, gross USA, it made eighty-three point four million, and then if you can count for inflation, that's three hundred and four point five million. So just enough to do decent. Uh, cumulative worldwide gross, we're looking at $92.1 million. So that makes up for a lot. Yeah, definitely uh, a side relief for Francis there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then if you count for inflation, that's uh, $336.2 million. Now, if we're looking at the box office numbers, um, this is where it comes out on top, though. Uh, opening weekend, it, it didn't do good. But uh, the box office of August 1979, at number one in August, we're looking at Apocalypse Now. Uh, For seventy-eight point seven million, then two was North Dallas Forty, and then number three was the Seduction of Joe uh, Tenen, which I've never heard of either (laughs) of those two movies. (laughs) Now we're looking at the box office of nineteen seventy-nine. Usually I do the top five, but we're gonna do top six because Apocalypse Now is right at number six at seventy-eight point seven million. Okay. Uh, At number one we have Superman. Great movie. Yeah. So that made ninety-three point two million. Uh, number two, we have Amniville Horror. Number three, we have Rocky Two. Number four, we have Star Trek the Motion Picture. And Number five, we have Aliens. So, just a really stacked uh, a <laughs> box office list of it's movies. Great top five, yeah. <laughs> so, so it, it, it contended with some some really big movies, and to hit at number six, uh, I, I think it, you know, that's that's really good. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, this was directed by Francis Ford Coppola, who in the past we've covered The Godfather. Um, other movies he's done is Bram Stoker's Dracula. He's also done The Outsiders uh, and Jack with uh, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, writing credits also goes to uh, John uh, Millis, who wrote Conan the Barbarian. Conan Red Dawn and Clear and Present Danger, and he even wrote for a video game, uh, Homefront. So a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot with like uh, besides for the Conan and Conan the Barbarian, but a lot of them like with the same themes of like war and stuff. It's yeah, very interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Long, fatal career. Then we have uh, the novel, which was written by uh, Joseph Conrad, who also wrote *Nostromo*. That was really the only book that stood out that when I was looking at the other books that he wrote.
0: Yeah, what's that book about, there, Terrence? I have no idea. <laughs> About, it, I, it's about, it's I just, just familiar with the name. Jimmo.
2: It
1: just it just <laughs> stood out <too> because
2: <laughs> to it. I, no, I don't think you mean about Strummel either besides it being the name of the ship on, on Alien.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's right.
2: <worse. laughs> <laughs> I know it's called the Strumbo. Well, we'll have to oh. have C.
0: Kevin Donegan fact check you on that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> shush, shush. You know
1: nothing. So I do, know
2: everything.
0: <laughs> the original runtime the of this...
2: The
1: Dracula. Is... Uh, <laughs> Shush. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so the runtime on this is 2 hours and 27 minutes. The redux is 3 hours and 16 minutes. The work print, which is available somewhere floating around. Uh, this the, the work print, we did not watch the work print. No. 5 hours and 30 minutes. So Terrence will uh, still be watching the work print. T- uh,
0: <laughs> we all would.
1: <laughs> right. We never leave. And then the final cut is 3 hours and 2 minutes. Yeah, that's the cut we simply watched for. this I actually, podcast. Now, well, now that I see the numbers, I, I ended up watching the Redux, actually. Oh, that's what you think? Yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> okay, well, me and Jimbo watched the final cut. You watched the Redux. I watched the Redux. If there's
2: any notable differences that I don't remember, maybe we'll mention them. Probably not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's not it's too much of a difference. <laughs> it's still um, a podcast now. As far like, as, time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So then we have a bunch of different soundtracks just because of all the uh, releases. Uh, but as far as the final cut, uh, we're looking at Dolby Adams. And then the original cut, we're looking at 77, or sorry, 70mm 6-track, 70mm prints. One of the first films to use the 70mm milli- Dolby surround sound system. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, we're looking at an aspect ratio of 2, uh, two to 1 for the DVD version. And two point two to one for the seventy millimeter prints. Camera, uh, most of the cameras used on set uh, is the Aeroflex. So we got like the Aeroflex sixteen ST, the Aeroflex thirty five BL, a bunch of the other ones, and um, we're looking at uh, Technovision and uh, uh, Cooke lenses. Or cookie, 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 oh, cookie
0: <laughs> <and> that's, that's <laughs> uh, lens laboratory.
1: Cookie. This was uh, this was edited in Technicolor Hollywood, uh, as most films that we cover are. Film length, Uh, interesting one about this. So, we're looking at original uh, without, like, not the 5-hour version, because we'll get to that. But after editing the the 2-hour version, we're looking at, like, 4,205 meters. Uh, We're looking at 70 millimeter, or the the Sweden 35 millimeter prints. Uh, But originally, for all the, un uh, uh, without all cuts and everything the film length of this movie was 1.5 million feet of film for this movie. Uh, so there was there was a lot of film. Uh, <laughs> it, it, so much, in fact, that the beginning of this movie was made from film that they tossed. <laughs> it was literally found in the trash can. Um, and then the, uh, the editor, uh, Richard Marks, who found the footage in the trash, uh, found it interesting... Uh, it was a lot of unusable footage for the most part, but he liked how it looked and he's like, you know what? I'm going to use this for the, the beginning. So, all the beginning uh, scene in the movie uh, where it's showing, uh, I believe it's like you, you see the, uh, part of the, you know, woodland, the, area the woodland areas. The apartments and the woodland areas. A lot of that, like, like that footage, uh, the NOM footage, it was, was footage they originally tossed. And then he reused it for the intro of this movie. So I thought that was really interesting.
2: It definitely has, yeah, it definitely has a little more of a, I don't know, a grainy feel to it, I think. That I gives a yeah. little more uh, sense of uh, sincerity or like... A realism. Realism, to, yeah. yeah, to a degree. Yeah,
1: it, it really feels you're in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for the cinemagraphic process, we're looking at uh, Digital Intermediate for the 2019 remaster. So this was remastered very recently. Uh, then we have uh, the final cut was done in Dolby Vision. Then... Uh, Technovision uh, anamorphic, and then uh, Todd AO thirty-five anamorphic. We got the printed film format, uh, thirty-five mm and then seventy mm blown up, blown up. And then that is all it for that. And now off to my favorite part, the awards! Yay! I had a little note here. That- I was gonna say yeah, was <laughs> was sure like, oh, was like, oh There's a <laughs> whole page of notes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This, uh, no, this, this, that's why it's separate because that all come in later. And I'll come in later. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, oh, we'll tease. Uh, pretty much. I mean, I, I guess I could now. So um, <laughs> the cinematographer... I know. The cinematographer had uh, difficulties uh, surrounding Marlon Brando uh, no. because <laughs> he expected him to show up to the location army fit. Uh, instead, he showed up over pounds 300 time. pounds. Yeah, 88 pounds heavier. So. <laughs> and so uh, they had to figure out how to film him uh without just without noting how heavy he looked. So uh, that's why a lot of his scenes are in shadows. Uh, that was a quick on the spur sort mm-hmm. of thing they had to do. Like, okay, well we'll, we'll just film him in shadow, it'll make from him more dark, mysterious. From the dark, dark rooms from the, from the back. And yeah. it did make it more mysterious and sort of this like, you know, foreboding character that you has been built up through the whole movie. Basically this ghost almost. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um so that that's that little uh, effect fact that I had so a lot of silhouettes, a lot of shadows, uh Fit him into the movie that he did not fit into. (laughs) Yeah. Or just
0: close. Right over. They, they
1: also, um, all, all the clothes that they had fit it for him for the movie, none of them could yeah, fit So they fit. had to
0: dress him in all black to slim him up a little bit <laughs> for the figure. I would have just sh- put him in a toga, <laughs> a bed sheet or something. Yeah. So now, off to the awards. which placed him right? on the spot.
1: <laughs> so, Academy Awards, USA 1980. They won Best Cinematography. Uh, we're looking at. Uh, v- Ooh, right away. All right. <laughs> Vitero uh, Serraro. Done Phonics were <laughs> <laughs> produced.
0: Those
1: are fun. <laughs> best sound, uh, best picture, best actor in supporting role, Robert Duvall. Best director, obviously Coppola. Uh, best writing screenplay based on material from another medium. Uh, so, yes, this, as mentioned before, is based off a book. Uh, so, uh, John Mullis and Francis Ford Coppola. Best art direction, set decoration, and best film editing. Golden Globes, USA 1980, they won Best Director, Motion Picture, Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Motion Picture, Robert Duvall, uh, tied with Melvin Douglas from Being There. And then they won Best Original Score, Motion Picture. And then they were nominated for Best Motion Picture, Drama. BAFTA Awards, 1980, they won Best Direction, Best Supporting Actor, once again, Robert Dewell, uh nominated for um, the Anthony Asquitch Award for Film Music, and then the nomination for the BAFTA Film Award. Uh, Best Actor, Best Cinematography, and Best Editing. There are some really good cinematography shots in this movie. Didn't
2: win the Children's Choice Award.
1: <laughs> Unfortunate. <laughs> the... Uh, American Cinema Editors, USA 1980. They were nominated for Best Edited Film Feature, American Movie Awards, 1980. They won Best Supporting Actor. Uh, And then here's here's where they go a bit international, which was interesting and surprising. Um, So, uh, Awards of Japanese Academy, 1981. They were nominated for uh, Award of the Japanese Academy, Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, They were also... Uh, this movie also made it into the British Society of Cinematographers, 1979, uh, no- nominated for Best Cinematography Award. Then we have uh, Cannes Film Festival, 1979, uh, winner of just the competition. That's, <laughs> so that's it, it's a, it's a very it, it's um it's a French awards. Uh, so I cannot read any of these. <laughs> <laughs> and then winner of the uh, Palmes d'Or. Nailed uh, it. (laughs) (laughs) Then we have Cinema Brazil Grand Prize in 2002. uh, Nominated for a Cinema Brazil Grand Prize for Best Foreign Language Film. uh, And this is for the Redux version. Mm -hmm. then we have the César Awards. France 1980, nominated for a César of Best Foreign Film. Then we have the Directors Guild of America, 1980, nominated for the Outstanding Directional Achievement in Motion Pictures Award. Then we have Golden Screen in Germany, just to show, like, how popular this was uh, overseas. Uh, They won the Golden Screen. Uh, The Grammy Awards, 1980, they were nominated for the Grammy of Best Album Original Score Written for a Motion Picture or Television Special. Mm Mm-hmm it's also interesting even to be like nominated for that because or yeah, that
2: like, for the redux version specifically and all those other kind of things sure
1: yeah uh, it, this one doesn't state uh, but I would imagine uh, this was 1980 so uh, the redux version came out and let's see if I was clever enough to write that down hopefully we'll find out I know right uh, came de- out de- de- after de- the de- first day. film <laughs> <laughs> fun fact nope not at all <laughs> Let me see if I can check the World Wide Web for this kind of information. Got it. We'll just keep going while you're doing that. Uh, we have the Jupiter Awards, 1979, nominated for Best International Actor, Marlon Brando. Interesting.
2: Apocalypse Now <laughs> Redux was released in 2001. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so, so a that's little me.
1: bit later. Just a little bit. <laughs> know, just a little bit, uh. <laughs> London Critics Circle uh, Film Awards, 2010. For the, uh, they won the 30th Year Anniversary Award. So interesting. That's an interesting award. Uh, Let me skip some of these. Online Film and Television Association in 2000, they won the uh, Film Hall of Fame Motion Picture Award. Uh, The Turkish Film Critics Association won uh, for Best Foreign Film. And then this is one I actually wanted to highlight. This is the first time I'm seeing it, and it's it's very interesting. So this is the World Stunt Awards in 2002. They were nominated for quite a few stunts, um, and they actually what what I think is cool is they actually say the stunt that they were nominated for. So in particular, um, they were nominated for the best fire stunt. Uh, there's a scene where the helicopter blows up above the schoolyard, engulfing uh, four stuntmen in flames. That happened in the Redux. Uh, so, that was one of the, the stunts that was highlighted in this performance. Another one was, uh, two stunt performers do a 75-foot fall off from a bamboo tower into a river. Wait, that was in the ESO that, show? Yeah, yeah that was, was the they show. dangling off the
2: helicopter. <laughs> Amazing
1: scene, honestly. <laughs> uh, then there's the, uh, da, 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 let's see... Uh, but yeah best so that was the best high work we got best aerial work which is the opening scene uh, at the Battle of Charlie's point where the helicopters enter the scene in formation as they launch um, we have best work with a vehicle uh, that one was during Charlie's point battle car goes off the bridge ah, when the, when the when the car goes off into the bridge and uh, the driver and passengers all jump off mmm <laughs> that, that's when they were clearing the, the beach so they can sail. It.
2: It's kind of like unrated how much action is actually in this movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah, like, for, sure, you know. for sure, for uh, sure.
1: Even Best Water Work, we got two stunt performers surf through the explosions at the Battle of Charlie's Point. Uh, best st- Stunt Coordinator and or Second uh, Unit Director Sequence, uh, once again, Battle at Charlie's Point. And then the final stunt that they were nominated for was uh, Best Stunt Coordinator and or Second uh, Unit Director uh, just for the Redux version and a lot of the stunts that were added in via that. Um, I actually looked it up. This uh, award came out, or this particular award set came out in 2001, and it was created by the founder of Red Bull, because of course. <laughs> uh, and even the award itself is a bull with wings. So, um Perfect. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think it's cool that there's a award set, you know, that highlights, uh, you know, stuntmen and women, and I feel like they're, they're they're highly uncredited or even sometimes forgotten, particularly in like action movies where a lot of action happened. I mean, these things wouldn't happen without. Like, they're literally, the, yeah. they're literally <laughs> they're the
2: they're literally exactly for the least recognition and there's a lot of deaths that occur oh yeah that yeah, one yeah. too absolutely fewer nowadays but a lot during the past and you know still like it's still a dangerous medium absolutely they take every
1: precaution they can but you know. oh which is why even actors who like to do their own stunts there's a lot of stunts where they're like no please let the, the stunt person do this if something happens to you we cannot finish the film
2: that's because um, like insurance companies are like no you cannot do that
1: uh, and <laughs> people will not pay to rebuild Tom Cruise <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> two actors who are notably like. Constantly signed line to be like, no, no, please let the stunt man do the stunt. It's like Tom Cruise and Jason Statham. They love the their Chan own stunts. Too. Jackie <laughs> Chan does all his own stunts and he just insists on it. Yes. But he also is a, prof- he, he, like, he also works as a stunt coordinator and does so many other things. Like, the, the, hmm. the man's a legend all on time. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll eventually get to him. The whole podcast about him would be worthwhile. But like, that's <laughs> another story of
2: another time. <laughs> exactly. So,
1: my section is done. It is your turn.
2: Now we move on to the casting. And this movie has a lot of people in it, surprisingly enough. Because it's a movie about Vietnam. So, let's start off here. We have Martin Sheen as U.S. Army Captain Benjamin L. Willard. A veteran assassin who's been serving in the Vietnam War for three years. Um, And let's see here. He's pretty much task on the secret of mission that is later detailed in the film story, which we'll get to a little bit later.
0: doesn't exist. It <laughs> doesn't exist. Never <laughs>
2: happened. And of course you know Martin Sheen's movies like The West Wing uh, not movies, the show The West Wing and movies like Wall Street and The Game and the, many others also Charlie Sheen's father and uh, all around great actor and uh, also Ant-Man um, most recently probably and many other films and still alive, still doing movies today and still doing a great job of it. Next up, we have Robert Duvall as Lieutenant Colonel Bill Kilgore great name, amazing name, and basically he's like a composite of like many other generals during the Vietnam War and kind of has this no-nonsense attitude. He's the one that had the line, you know, uh, you know I love the smell of napalm in the morning, and all that kind of stuff. Um, still alive today. He turned 90 years old this year, and the last time he was in was in The was the Judge, I believe, back in 2014, I believe. Um, you also know him from uh, secondhand, line, secondhand, secondhand Lions, words are hard, uh, <laughs> Great movie, too, Falling Down, and The Great Santana. Um, so great movies all around so (coughs) Robert Duvall great actor next up we have the the kind of infamous Marlon infamous Marlon Brando in this one at least (coughs) who was a legendary actor in his own right but in this one specifically kind of known for you know uh, not remembering his lines and you know not being up for the physical task but he played uh, Colonel Walter E. Kurtz a highly decorated U.S. Army Special Forces officer with the Fifth Special Forces Group, who goes rogue. He runs his own military unit based in Cambodia and is feared much by the U.S. military and as by the North Vietnamese and Viet Cong. Martin Sheen is sent out on a secret mission to kill him. <laughs> so, interesting actor there. Next up, we have we have Frederick Forrest as the engine man, Third Class J. Chef Hicks, who's a tightly wound up, who's a tightly wound up former chef from the New Orleans, who is. Terrified by his surroundings. Um, you'll know him from stuff as like as the show Twenty One Jump Street and the film The Dawn Is Dead. Twenty One Jump Street is a show I desperately want to kinda get back to someday because I <laughs> heard nothing good things. I'll start Johnny Depp back in the day. You know, fun stuff there. Um, next up we have Albert Hall as Chief Petty Officer George Phillips. The chief runs a type ship and frequently clashes with Willard over the Authority. He'll be the main ship driver. You'll recognize him from such films as the Rookie of the Year, the Malcolm X movie, and the film Major Pain. Hmm. <laughs> the train that <it> could. <laughs> the train <it> good. <laughs> yep. Next up we have Lawrence Fishburne as Gutter's Mates third class Tyrone Mr. Clean Miller. The seventeen year old cocky South Bronx born crew member. Fishman was only fourteen years old yeah. when shooting began in March nineteen seventy-six. And as he had lied about his age in order to get cast in the role, the film took so long to finish that Fishman was seventeen, the same age as his character by the time of its release.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> also did not 14. realize that was Lawrence Fishburne. I'm wow. That's a really, really young. Like young <laughs>
2: really?
1: <laughs> You have, to, you have to go
2: back in and be like, oh yeah, I can see that that, that, that fro or brow. <laughs> <laughs> the Lawrence Fishburne stare. <laughs> and of course, Lawrence Fishburne, legendary actor of his own right today. So, his movies is like the Matrix trilogy, John Wick, which is going on forever, and Event Horizon. <coughs> Sorry about my cough today. Oh my gosh. Event Horizon, that's a good movie. We should do that. In the future. That sounds like a great movie and a great movie. I think life. we are doing it. I've <laughs> heard good things about that. <laughs> we'll talk about that later, Amy. It's on the list. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I need to get a water lighter. <laughs> All right. So next up, we have Dennis Hopper as an American photojournalist and a manic disciple of Kurtz who greets Willard, according to the DVD comedy of a commentary movie, The Redux. The character is based off Sean Flynn, a famed news correspondent who disappeared in Cambodia in 1970. He, his dialogue follows that of a Russian Harley Quinn and Conrad story. So he's basically just the crazy photojournalist and <laughs> manic energy throughout the entire film. So love him to death. Dennis Hopper, also legendary actor, on own right. Um, you'll know him mostly from movies like Easy Rider, Speed, Blue Velvet, Hoosiers. Yeah, and my personal favorite would be in Waterworld, where he just devours the scenery in every scene he's in, never one on eyeball. Yes, yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> over the top. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, next up we have J.D. Spaulding as Lieutenant General R. Corman, Military Intelligence G. Two, <laughs> an authoritarian officer who fears Kurtz and wants him removed. The character is named after the filmmaker Roger Corman, for whom. Capo- Francis Capolla, words, who previously directed the film his earlier works. So Francis Ford Coppola was a a friend, basically named him Roger Corman. (laughs) Um, You'll know J.D. Swallow from movies like Tank, um, North Dallas Forty, and Wrong Is Right. Not me, because I've never seen any of those. You've never seen any of those? <laughs> Tank is an amazing movie specifically that I know very well. I uh, can't remember the start off the top of the head, but uh, it's very fun. I'll have to show about up later. <laughs> Whatever, um, Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good movie. Thanks, Kyle, for your amazing insights. I don't remember what it was about or who
0: was in it, but I remember it was good. If I just saw their face. If it, yeah, <laughs> I, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I can see it so clearly in my mind. But you can't say it because this is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up we have the legendary actor Harrison Ford, who we've talked about before, especially in Star Wars. But of course you don't know him very well as Indiana Jones and uh, you know uh, Han Solo in Star Wars and this was right um, before he filmed Star Wars. This is right before he became a Big Star. This is one of his first roles where he's like, Oh hey, that's Harrison Ford right there. He looks really thin and yes. downplayed, nothing about his role. <laughs> And uh, he's like kind of like an, just like an intelligence officer in the, one of the meeting scenes, and that's basically all you see him in. Yep. But of course, you know him, like Dator Kane, and Blade Runner, and The Fugitive, and Air Force One, so... American Graffiti. Yeah. The
1: list goes on with she that gentleman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: Yep. Witness. And, yeah so truly kind of over the top there and lastly he was directed by Francis Ford Coppola who of course directed movies like The Godfather and Bram Stoker's Dracula um, not with the not the other Dracula <laughs> <That laughs> no Peter Cushing <laughs> no no that would be <laughs> Van Helsing yeah. there and, and, Ray, and Rainmaker I think that's um, gonna be a running joke from
0: here on out that's just gonna... <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes instead of saying gonna be Peter Cushing in it
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Ermy uh this is the drone instructor he's also uncredited but he he is the helicopter pilot in, later in the film. Hmm. And that wraps up the casting. You know what he's famous for, right? Uh, for uh, the... <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I just know he went around it, to... A full um, metal jacket, of course. That's yes, the drill structure in full so metal jacket. That's what I was waiting, waiting for me. you. Really? <laughs> yeah, no, I had to think of the title of the movie. I knew it off the top of my head. But uh, so we Kyle... record this
0: podcast very early, if you don't know. <laughs> Sometimes we're not awake. <laughs> really? You already had a daddy's Grand slam? I... I... I, I... <laughs> <laughs> Just shut up, Jim. <laughs> hey, uh, water boy, why don't you go get some water as well? We'll go ahead and continue on with the notes. That way I'll grab everybody a water will. so you can wet your whistle and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's going to grab everybody one there. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Throw me one. Here. Don't hit the microphone. Okay. So we got a water here, and we're on our way. So um, this movie, what was crazy about this movie and filming this movie is all the footage... Uh, Coppola was shooting this, but he never got to review any of the film until it got back to the States because the Philippines did not have a studio over there, a movie studio, where he could see it. So he's yeah. filming this blindly. Pretty which, much.
1: How hard would that be? It, it, you know what? It's, it's amazing it turned out how it did, knowing that. <laughs> well, no, that, they say like a
0: lot of the chopper scenes and a lot of that, when there was audio, the, yeah. all that audio had to be dubbed in because the choppers were so loud that oh, yeah. none of the audio could be done. So they would have to go through and... Um, I dub that in later in the day. Helicopters are in, insanely loud. Like that—that's that, why you know in the movies
1: you always see them wearing the 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 headset and that they have to talk to each other through because you cannot talk to each other without that. So um, I remember in particular when I was, when I was in Afghanistan. We would there's a couple locations that we went by Hilo, and then like they were trying to tell me how to put the strap on and the hel- <laughs> and I can't I can't hear them because we don't have the comms, <laughs> So I'm just like what and I'm just like put it on like this. And I'm like, I don't know
2: what you're saying, but just motion. It's just like, (laughs) yeah, you put the strap on your body. You're like, I know that
1: part. (laughs) But how? (laughs) (laughs) See, Bill. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't Uh, hear a
2: click. I don't hear a click. You can't hear anything. You're in a helicopter.
1: (laughs) Any scene that's filmed with a helicopter. Yeah. You best believe every, uh, the audio is dubbed because
0: it's, yeah. Right. So we've obviously discussed this. This took a long time to film, uh, years. Um, It said it took Coppola nearly three years to edit the footage um, because Coppola soon learned that uh, Martin Sheen, some of his uh, voice work needed to be redone, but he was too busy to do it, so uh, he had brought in his brother, Joe Estevez, who was nearly sounded identical, to perform the new tracks. Um, Estevez was also used as a stand-in when Sheen suffered his heart attack during the shoot in 1976. Estevez was not credited for his work as a stand-in nor for his voiceover work, which I think that's terrible. Yeah, it is pretty terrible. Uh, more than a year had passed between the filming of Willard and Chef searching the jungle for mangoes and encountering the tiger. And then Im- the immediately following shots, part of the same scene of Chef clambering back onto the boat, ripping off his shirt and screaming. Um, <laughs> Some tired of this, man. It's <laughs> a couple of shots over 200 hours of footage. And that, that has to be expensive, just filming. Yeah, Um Absolutely. Capola uh, lost 100 pounds while filming this movie. Um, maybe should have let Brando film it. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, Marlon Brando improvised a line, you're an errand boy sent by grocery clerks to collect a bill. <laughs> I was... Um, same. Robert De iconic uh, Oscar-nominated performance as Colonel Kilgore amounts to just 11 minutes of screen time. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> but that's one of the most memorable scenes of this movie. Yeah, it's, it's
1: pretty great. Before <laughs> the, before,
0: uh, until we get to the shock factor towards the end of the movie, oh, you're like, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, when uh, Captain Wilder, who's obviously Martin Sheen, is alone in his hotel room at the beginning of the movie, um, Sheen just told him just to let the cameras roll. He was actually drunk. But he wanted that so when he goes and he smashes the mirror, yeah. He actually cuts himself. Oh, um, he, he cut his thumb. Uh, he said that he also began sobbing and tried to attack director Francis Ford Coppola. The crew was so disturbed that they wanted to stop shooting, but Sheen wanted to keep the cameras going. Which how is he wanting to keep the cameras going if he's the one that's drunk? You know what I mean? <laughs> I know. Yeah. right? At the time, he was fighting a drinking problem and his own issues. He got so caught up in the scene and his own inner struggles that he hit the mirror. He believed that continuing the scene would help him face his problems. This was revealed later in a conversation with Coppola and Sheen, as had been shown in the Rita version. Hmm. Um, after Martin Sheen recovered from his heart attack, there was concern that he looked too healthy to be the weary, uh, war-weary cynical assassin that Willard was towards the end of his mission. And you know what? One of my favorite parts of this movie, and we'll get there, but is when he comes up out of the water. Oh, yeah. And it's just, yeah. you know, he's just iconic. You know, coming up I, yeah. super slow. I yeah. mean, that, is, yeah.
2: that is the main shot of the um, recently release, like, you know, Final Cut Blu ray. Is yep. just like he has his head coming out of the water. It's perfectly and,
0: done, but, but he couldn't swim. Yeah. So he's like, he was, he was really nervous about being on that boat for so long. That's um, <laughs> so he's always sitting down, just like, I'm, just, I'm
2: planted, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Marlon
0: Brando angered Francis Ford Coppola so much that Coppola turned over the filming of Brando's scenes to assistant director Jerry Zeismer. Uh, here's where I talked about you were out of the room, Kyle, but the Philippines had no professional film laboratories at the time, so the raw negatives had to be shipped to the U.S. to be processed. The entire movie was shot Blind. Coppola never saw a shot on film until after returning to California. Oh, my God. No wonder he shot 200 things. He tried to splice something together, 200 hours. <laughs> got to make sure we have enough.
1: Surely for I film. got to figure. Right, here's <laughs> here's
0: uh, It came up in the notes that so we'll talk about here. The shock factor in this movie. Um, there is a scene of where a water buffalo is slaughtered in this film, and it is a real water buffalo. Uh, The scene was inspired by a ritual performed by a local Ifuguo tribe, which Francis Ford Coppola had witnessed along with his wife, who filmed the ritual later shown in the documentary Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse in 1991, uh, and film crew. Although it was an American production subject to American animal cruelty laws, scenes filmed in the Philippines were not policed nor monitored. The American Humane uh, Humane Association gave this film an unacceptable rating for this (laughs) incident. (laughs) But you know, we something that may be a law here in America may not necessarily be a law elsewhere in the world. Well here, here's a here's another fact about that scene. So that was gonna happen anyway.
1: It's not like they did that for the scene. Right. Like that they the That um, was a
2: real rich wolf that the was the process yeah, yeah. of getting the water it was, buffalo. It was, was
1: basically there. like a, a water buffalo they were gonna slaughter for their tribe anyway. Hey, hey, can so I he can I watch like, this? Hey, <laughs> can we film it? And they're like, Yeah,
0: okay, sure, sure, why not? <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> yeah um but it is definitely a shock factor when you watch it though you're like uh syn
2: <laughs> <Yeah>, mano <laughs> of Sheen, you know butchering Marlon Brando you know it's so
0: Marlon it's Marlon Brando hard. once again you know uh wanted to improvise a lot of his dialogue, which he did, including an eighteen minute speech, two minutes of his which survived the final cut um at the end of the speech, Brando reportedly said to Francis Ford Coppola, Francis, I've gone as far as I can go if you need more.' You can get another actor. <laughs> like, oh my God. This guy is just like over the top, you know. What I mean, but we remember from Godfather oh, something yeah. he was always yeah, um,
1: just an incredibly different. This is that spent several talented.
0: days reading Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness out loud in Marlon Brando because he didn't read it before he got to the set. Um, <laughs> also, there was a lot of damage that was actually real uh, napalm. Uh, so the uh, they destroyed several palm trees. Oh wow! And burnt several tires and everything. I got more in here about it, but the. Um, Editing the helicopter napalm attack took one year to complete. Approximately ten percent of the entire film's footage shot one hundred thirty thousand feet was from that sequence. Wow! Yep.
2: Some um, ins- no one in this movie is so insanely expensive when so far over budget. Right. It's like there's always a story of just like this film was just held film.
1: <laughs> well, another fun fact is. Um they were trying uh, for a lot of the scenes that involved like you know uh, flying and stuff like that. They were they were trying to get because some movies do get help from the Department of Defense. So yeah. Like oh yeah yeah we'll showcase our gear. Like
2: most films exactly with any kind of like any kind of um, this route, so. one
1: didn't yeah. uh, because they were like nah this kind of really feels like you know anti-war in Vietnam so we're we're not going to help you out with this one mm-hmm.
0: right. Uh, Marlon Brando was paid one million in advance. Uh, He threatened to quit and keep the advance. Francis Ford Coppola told his agent, I don't care. And if they couldn't get Brando, then they would try to get Jack Nicholson, Robert Redford, or Al Pacino. Brando eventually turned up late, drunk, and about 88 pounds of weight, which uh, Terrence had already stated. He admitted he hadn't read the script uh, or Heart of Darkness. He just, hey, I'm here to collect a paycheck, I guess. Uh, He read Coppola's script and refused to do it. After several days of arguments over single lines of dialogue, Coppola agreed to an ad lib style script, which Brando filmed mostly in shadows. What kind of actor just has that kind of prestige that I'm, I'm
1: surprised that he was that he like knowing how he is, that he was their first choice. But like,
0: especially since Coppola had worked with him on The Godfather, he yeah. would have had known a little bit, but like, maybe yeah, he hadn't got to that point. To you know, yeah.
1: I would have went with Vegino.
0: Everybody <laughs> <laughs> else, really. Harrison yeah. Ford was allowed to pick his own character's name. He chose he chose G. Lucas. It's honor George Lucas. Yeah. Um, The scene in which the helicopter swooped in on the village while playing the ride of Valkyries was meant to be an ironic comment on the Vietnam War. Um, When Francis Ford Coppola asked Al Pacino to play Willard, Pacino turned him down saying... I know what this is going to be like. You're going to be up there in a helicopter telling me what to do, and I'm going to be down there in the swamp for five months. The shoot actually lasted 16 months. If Pacino had signed on, it would have felt like stunt casting, like a gimmicky Godfather reunion. <laughs> oh, man. Pacino, Pacino's great, dude. Uh, Sam Bottoms was on Speed, LSD, and Marijuana during the shooting of his scenes for this movie. So. It was
2: the 70s. Who wasn't? <laughs>
0: Brando probably, <laughs> um, yeah, probably Here it work. is Here's the uh, the, the scene the, the iconic opening scene Of the palm trees burning under a storm of napalm it Involved the destruction of a real forest So not only are they making the Humane Society mad Now uh, all the environmentalists. Thank man. you. <laughs> Around 1,200 gallons of gasoline Were poured over the palm trees And then set alight Tires were also burned to generate more smoke for the shot While canisters were dropped on the area To look like falling napalm Acres of forests were destroyed in a matter of seconds. Boy, you better get that right in one take. (laughs) Uh, Since the movie was filmed in the Philippines, which was in the midst of their own war with rebels, environmental issues was not a big priority. Francis Ford Coppola later said, they never let you in the U.S. The environmentalists would kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. A lot of liberties they took with this film. (laughs) Right. Uh, The Philippine president, Ferdinand Marcos, agreed to let uh, his army supply the helicopters and pilots used in the film. Uh, The tape recording that clean gets in the mail was recorded actually by Lawrence Fishburne's own mother. Mm. So that made it a little bit more... That is incredible. Yeah. Realistic. Uh, Military sets for this movie were nearly destroyed by a hurricane during filming. Instead of breaking them down and starting over, the partially destroyed sets were used to create new scenes in the movie, including the scene in The Redo, uh, where the playmates are stranded at the (laughs) deserted military base. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, The famous line, Terminate... With extreme prejudice is spoken by Assistant Director Jerry Seismer.
2: Yeah, it was not invented by the screenwriters at all.
0: Coppola yeah. himself
1: is uh, also has a cameo in the film. In the yeah, very it's beginning, the, reporter. He's yep. the reporter who's like just just keep going, like you're running into the action. <laughs> so,
0: so Brando didn't obviously only have a problem with Coppola. He also had a problem with Dennis Hopper. Yes. Yeah. So this is this is this blows my mind. So according to Dennis, no, this is Dennis Hopper. God rest his soul. Uh, Marlon Brando yelled at him over a simple misunderstanding. I don't even know what it was. He then decided to deliberately antagonize Brando whenever he could. This resulted in Brando refusing to share the set with him. <laughs> the one and only scene that they share together being sh- having to be shot on separate nights. So when Kurtz throws the book at Hopper's photojournalist character and calls him a mutt, one can only assume that was Brando's genuine feelings about him. <laughs> oh, did he like anybody? Just
2: just like I, actors are babies. <laughs> to yeah. an extent, just like, Did he like anybody?
0: <laughs>
1: Get the job done. I mean, uh, it's surprising the man finds work sometimes.
0: Right. The people on <laughs> the railroad were Vietnamese refugees who had come to the Philippines less than six weeks earlier. Uh, Steve McQueen, he also turned down the role of Willard, Captain Willard. He had initially verbally agreed to play him with Francis Ford Coppola agreed to his three, salary of $3 million. But after thinking about the fact that the work would require several months of on-location shooting in the Philippine jungle... McQueen told Coppola, I'd rather play Kill Roll instead, which required much less location work as long as he would still be paid his full salary. So he wanted to do a l- less, less far more, more money. Salary. Same, same money. Because uh, so Coppola, who was essentially <laughs> self-financing, we the movie simply could not afford him and said no. Uh, during some sequences, the sound of the helicopters were created on a synthesizer to blend in with the music. Uh, unknown to Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Sheen could not swim, and he was always scared when, when he was do- filming most of his boat scenes. Uh, he, he eventually told Coppola later on in his years. Uh, the, the beginning of the movie, uh, Willard is in the uh, underwear and punching the mirrors. It was on Martin Sheen's 36th birthday, hmm. so about as old as Terrence. Almost. A couple years, six. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Close enough. He's young. Yeah, <laughs> he's a young millennial. The movie's line, The Horror of the Horror, was voted as number 66 of the greatest movie lines hmm. by Premiere in 2007. Uh, John Millis the, wrote the original script in 1969. Was known as the Psychedelic Soldier. We've talked about that. with Psychedelic
2: Soldier. It's a great album name too. How about Alex this? <laughs>
0: right. Lawrence Fishburne actually saved Emilio Estevez from dying in quicksand during some downtime while this film was being made. <laughs> oh, that's a. Really as interesting. you do, yeah. good old Lawrence. Oh, it's a good guy. <laughs> too bad Lawrence Fishburne couldn't have been there when a you died in the never-ending story. <laughs> I would have been a much better, happier childhood. <laughs> Uh, all will eat over somewhere <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne I got your horse It's right over his shoulder and Just walks out. Yeah.
2: No problem Right <laughs> of the day For Lawrence Fishburne
0: Kilgore says He's a goofy foot This means he surfs With his right foot Forward Whereas most people Have their left foot forward mm-hmm. The movie's line I love the smell Of napalm in the morning Which uh, Kyle had obviously Quoted at the beginning Of this episode Was voted as The number 12 movie Quote by the American Film Institute And the number 45 of the 100 Greatest Movie Lines of All Time by premiere in 2007. Fun personal fact. I knew the line and didn't know where the line came from.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, as years goes on, it only comes more true for my people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, this film was not shot in Vietnam, but rather it was shot in the Philippines. The surfing sh- the surfing scenes were shot in a place called Bel Air, Aurora, which now has surf shops. The beach is now called Charlie Beach after the line from hmm. the movie. Other scenes were shot in various uh, other locations, such as Zambalias, uh, north of Subic Bay, which was a uh, U.S. Navy base on a beach near IBA, IBA. A typhoon struck at that time, and yet the crew shot a few scenes. It is also shot in Pag-Sajan near Manila. Francis Ford Coppola initially wanted to shoot the movie in Vietnam but felt that would be too dangerous as it would be difficult to convince the cast and crew. Well, I guess so when there's still a war going on. Uh, Kyle, you got some more notes? I got some more notes right here. Don't you worry.
2: All right, so at the end of the USO show, filming about halfway through the movie, the Playboy bunnies and the MC leave by helicopter. The MC was actually played by Bill Graham, who unfortunately later died in a helicopter crane crash in a helicopter crash in 1991. So a little sad coincidence there. The IMAX poster for the Kong Skull Island movie released in 2017 is actually a homage to the original iconic one-sheet for this movie, Apocalypse Now. Hmm. Great little moment. The boat's name that Martin Sheen and the rest of the soldiers um, drive on the entire time for the river. Um, the boat's name is Erebus, referring to the son of the Greek god of utter darkness. As the film's movie source novel was Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Um, the you know the you know the backseat of forward of the PBR. Um, the words God's country are written on it. The steel gun shield, the gun mount on the back of the boat is marked with the words Canned Heat, as a kind of a, a Greek mythology kind of illusion and about the <laughs> descent into the darkness that the film is. Yeah. Yeah. In Kurt's Village, um, the motto are uh, the seen, uh, there's graffiti on a wall spray painted that says, Our motto, Apocalypse Now, is actually painted on the wall.
0: Yeah, because there is no, this has no opening credits.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Just, uh, oh, that's true. Um, he didn't want credits at all. But uh, he actually, when it when it first released, he just wanted to give like a brochure with the credits, and then have the movie with no credits whatsoever.
2: Yeah, and I believe the only reason he can't do that is usually because of um, union rights and all those kind yeah, of things. Yeah, so, so then
1: he was made to, to write the credits. I anyway. know
2: similar productions wanted, not similar productions, but other directors have wanted to do that in the past. Like the end of the um the end of the show, The Sopranos. They wanted to have that be a yep. black shot with no credits, but of course, unions stepped like you can't do that. And
1: as far as the 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 title uh, Apocalypse Now, um, it was. As we had stated, there's there's actually a couple names that was originally supposed to be, uh, but they landed on Apocalypse Now, and they, they kind of did that as like a little bit of a joke because uh, they got the term phrase from like the hippies at the time, you know, who were who were very you know uh, anti Vietnam War, so they were like, oh, we'll just coin one of their terms, and then they call it Apocalypse Now. Yeah. In addition to the other T.S.
2: Elliot references, one book shown in the Kurtz compound is The Golden Both. Um, Another one he's referencing is from Ritual to Romance and The Wasteland, um, which the film was partially based on to some degrees, from limited different degrees. Um, any maniacs? Um, um,
1: Did you say the animaniacs.
0: Yes, the animaniacs. The spot we've
1: referencing a kids' cartoon and talking about this movie. But yeah, yes, animaniacs I really thought like happen. it
2: was a good idea. That Yako and Waco and Dot Warner being sent down to Warner Bros. Studio to see Chief Mister Plots to distant soundstage to pull the plug. Of the movie crazed by an ego maniacal director. No ego maniacal director being transported for funny. <laughs> animaniacs. <laughs> Great Never shy to say some crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, the film cast uh, includes four Oscar winners at the time, you know, being Marlon Brando, Robert Duvall, R- Francis Ford Coppola, and um, Vittorio Starrero. St- 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 <laughs> I'm sure I got that perfectly right. And six Oscar nominees with Dennis Hopper, Frederick Forrest, Harrison Ford, Lawrence Fishburne, even Lotman, Evan Lottman, and Roman Coppola. So it's <laughs> quite a all star cast later on who, who went on to have amazing careers afterwards, too, especially with Lawrence Fishburne next up we said the film was originally distributed by United Artists since then ownership has switched from the United Artists to MGM then, Zero- then Zoe Trope Studios and now to Paramount Pictures so it's trade hands many times and a lot of people had basically a, fi- a lot of companies have had a financial interest in making sure this movie is still being distributed nowadays because it's such a classic. Which explains all the different releases. Yeah. Um, many critics at the time felt Marilyn Brando was always too old it was too old and too heavy to play Kurtz, which I wholeheartedly agree with, and apparently Francis Ford Coppola and everyone else also agreed, except Merlin Brando, I guess. <laughs> 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 um... Next up, the music during the helicopter scene is Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries, and the neutral music was about being speared, about, about speared men charging. So that's a Greek moment of just, like, having the helicopters charging being symbolic of basically Roman empires charging down and, you know, killing lots of people. So, over the top there, and definitely an iconic scene. And uh, one thing we talked about this just couple scenes going on the Which uh, a lot of different other mediums play homage to that same scene a lot. Exactly, yeah. Family Guy's done it. Everyone with probably done it. Who am I kidding? <laughs> yeah. Uh, on March 5th of the year of film, filming, Sheen, uh, Martin Sheen had a heart attack and struggled for a quarter of a mile to reach help. By that time, the film was already so over budget, even he f- worried funding would be halted if word about his condition were to reach the s- investors. And said he claimed he suffered a heat stroke instead. So, interesting thing where they had a downplay, like, I had a full-on heart attack. But it was like, no, no, just a heat stroke because it was so hot in the Philippines. And just, uh, I just couldn't imagine. Sounds absolutely miserable. Uh, and let's hear. also mentioned earlier that um, Lee Ermey was an uncredited role as a pilot who flies one of the Huey helicopters during the Flight of the Valkyrie scene, before he would gain fame as the drill instructor in Full Metal Jacket, co-written by Michael Herr, who scripted the narration here as voiced by Martin Sheen. So that's all my notes I have on the film right now, and uh, take it back to the gym.
0: So, um, one thing that I thought was really crazy is when uh, Martin Sheen finally gets down to where Marlon Brando is. Um, all those people that were there, that they they treated Marlon Brando like a god almost. Um yeah. They were, all, and you see people hanging up. You know, yeah. uh, hanging. Uh, you see one guy hanging there naked. Um, you see a lot of slaughtered, a lot of just dead people, and then you see thousands of people just standing around, like like they're afraid to move it, there, there's a scene actually if you catch it um
1: they're still like like it, it's in the very back but I, I caught it as they're driving the boat slowly down the river and you know kind of witnessing all of this and it, it's kind of been alluded to the whole movie uh because in the whole movie you know he's he's reading uh, uh his dossier right and um you know he's uh even in the beginning they said like yeah his methods are just
2: Unorthodox, unorthodox. And, 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 and way over the top. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And so you finally get to witness what that is. Um and in the background you can actually see someone like still kind of stabbing people.
2: Yeah. Yeah, getting And I would say like I mean you know not just like a you know a god image, but like it's like a cult uh um, messiah complex that yeah. they put onto Kurtz's character specifically and it really is just gonna show that everyone in that facility actually like you know absolutely reveres Kurtz as like the one true person in this whole mad world they live in and they follow his every directive even though it's clear that he's a madman himself and even even the film implies that Kurtz himself is aware that he's probably lost it at this point yeah
0: well and this is the point where um, a Willard which is Sheen he, he Brando knows why he's there he yeah. knows he's there to kill him yeah but they have those in- interesting conversations back and forth like all night and you know and, yeah you know all that drinking and whatever they're doing um but uh when the, the climax of this movie, it's that night where they're slaughtering the water buffalo, and this is where Sheen's like, he's gonna go. You know, he goes in there and uh, Slaughter. slaughters Brando, just yeah. like the water buffalo. Um, and then here's what got me is like, he just basically gets in a boat. He tells, Is it Chef that has the dog that says we're going, uh, leaving? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, uh, it's
1: Lance. Uh, chef got beheaded.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah, Chef
1: got beheaded. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lance, Lance and him were the only survivors in the movie, because uh, in the book, Lance also dies. I thought so. Uh,
0: but but my thing was it just shows him leaving. Now, for me watching this movie for the first time I mean, I've seen bits and pieces, but to watch it as a whole, it was a struggle for me but when he... I always thought that the ending was going to be him taking over basically where Kurtz was. yeah. Because you could tell that his mentality breakdown was to the point where he actually starting to understand what Kurtz was going through, you know well, what I mean? like, yeah, I was the like, beginning. I mean, right. that,
1: that was part of the, his confusion. And he's like, like,
0: why do I want to kill this guy when... He's reading his... First, he's going into his
1: past, and he's like, he's accomplished things that I tried to accomplish and failed. <laughs> and then from there... Um, uh, you know, he he reads about sort of, like, his ideals and his like uh, his prior sort of methods, and he's, like, agreeing with it. And it, it, at some point, and he mentions it near the end where he's like, um, I thought I would know what I would want to do when I saw him uh, uh, at the end of the river, yeah. but I got there and I, st- I still don't know if, like... Uh, do, do I want to kill this guy? Uh, he's I, like, conflicted by to. his
2: duty to kill him and the unorthodox but also his entire admiration for how much he accomplished in the war exactly. and uh, to recognize that like of course you lost your mind of this but of course I can't judge you at all because he himself is just as lost as
1: Kurtz exactly, is, and, and, as and they actually might. kind of portray that in um, like sort of the getting lost not only in uh, Kurtz's character and um, uh uh, Willard's character, but also uh, and Lance. I mean you see Lance at the beginning of the movie, you know he's just your average young soldier. and like by the end the dude's gone. Like he's complete. like he Yeah. Like by even by mid movie the dude is just now he's like using drugs and stuff and like he's he's gone. Um and then by the end he's he's just fully immersed himself in, in the madness and he's he's a completely different person.
2: No sign uh, of any freedom or way out. And, the, yeah, you just in that mindset yeah. the rest of your life. Basically. And
1: you can even see him kind of slip uh when um clean dies. Uh because obviously everybody's worried about clean and then he gets out and he's just like, Where's the puppy? You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, But you can sort of see this this desensitization uh, in in everyone uh, at some point of like just just the whole entire war. And this was, you know, uh, sort of the issue. And a lot of things are highlighted in this movie. I mean, in the beginning, you got... Uh, PTSD gets highlighted with him not being able to cope with being back Mm -hmm. and wanting to go back and then once he's done with that mission he's like I shouldn't have gone back. Uh, That's a common thing. Um, And
0: what uh, another scene that got me was when they roll up on the um, when they roll up on that uh, boat that just has like groceries on it you know what I mean and he's like oh these people are hiding something you know they go there and they just slaughter everybody you know what I mean and I was like and they didn't have nothing but the puppy you know what I mean It, it it was just a normal Average family on the river, completely innocent,
2: and they just murdered them out of the blue and got away with it, and that's just there's no closure to that at all. It just happened. It just happened. It's crime,
0: just every just every
1: thing, you know. And and that's all another thing that's highlighted. He's like, wait, how come I'm I have to kill this guy in particular when literally. I this everybody's a uh, uh um,
0: Yeah, uh, who hasn't killed an innocent person? Right, yeah, in right. yeah like that it,
2: that idea of just like you know, like who hasn't slipped up, like in we're this all way? murderers. Because so. this, this
0: is where, wasn't this where uh Martin or yeah, Martin Sheen's like, uh, hey, let's just go, uh, don't stop, don't stop, just go. And, oh, yeah. and he stops, and they're all over there, and then he just picks up the gun, and just kills them all, and he's like, I yeah. told you not to stop, let's go. <laughs> you know, everybody's like. Oh boy, you know <laughs> what are we dealing with here? And um, so uh,
1: you know that's that once again like plays in a big part of the the, the, the desensitization of 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 war, you know, among soldiers, uh, especially being in theater so long. I mean, you, um, I, I believe the guys on the boat had been on there like what seventeen months, I think they yeah, said something like yeah, that. Yeah, about that.
0: Point. Uh, I did like the the captain of the boat though. I Chief really was awesome. I thought he really um,
2: I like his final scene, simply when he tries to actually pull him down on the arrow. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so, so insane. Yeah.
1: Um, so <laughs> all of this shock was just, yeah, it's like a spear. Yeah, that, that's a, yeah. <laughs> You're in a war and you go by a spear. It's a terrible way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was he was, he was he was, a, he was a good chief. Uh, it was kind of sad to see the whole crew go, just like, you know, slowly all, all die out. Because, um, I mean, they were all, like, interesting characters in their own right, you know?
0: Yeah, they, yeah. they each had their own little...
2: And largely, like before that mission, it, it's clear that they did everything in their power to actually do it right by the book and all that kind of stuff and actually try and be um, morally righteous in their situation. And then they just got into that descent to madness yeah. against their own will, basically. And, uh, it, you know, it's sad to see them all go and uh, basically pay a cost with no real payoff. Yeah. Right. You know, just as war. <laughs> all right, and, Kyle, you
0: know. give me your thoughts on this movie and then we'll go to Terrence and I'll wrap her up. You know, to me,
2: it's. it's uh, yeah, you know, it's an interesting movie because it's just like it's not a movie that I feel like um, I would say I truly enjoy watching, but a movie that um, I, I do hold in great reverence because I think it's an excellent film, and it's amazing that it got made in the first place for how many struggles it ever suffered through. Um, but I, I recommend people watch the film maybe once in their life, maybe twice in their life. But it's uh, it's a, a heavy film. So
0: let me I, ask you a question then: Do you think it deserves to be in the top one hundred greatest movies of all time? Yes, absolutely. I,
2: I, I, I didn't know if you were done <laughs> with your comment. <laughs> I had no fault for that. We yes,
0: absolutely.
2: It's, it's, you know, it, it, is a, it is a work of art. It is um, part of American history.
0: But usually, when you say something is one of the greatest movies of all time, it's something that you can sit down and watch over and over again and get enjoyment out of it. To not me, this is always. not one of those movies.
1: Because, okay, let, I mean, we can even look back at a movie that we have covered as Citizen Kane that's not a movie that people could sit down and watch over and over but the reason why it makes the top is because what it did cinematography wise right this does something completely different and uh, I mean if you're all done I can yeah, start yeah go
0: ahead I
2: what makes the movie so incredible too is the struggles that they overcame just in making it in fact they had that such a good final product as an end result you know and it is a heavy subject matter that is deeply entrenched into American history obviously and that makes it a point where it's like, it, I feel like it deserves being the top 100 movies of all time because it's the movie like, you know, like you have not, you know, you have not seen how far cinema can go until you've seen, yeah. you know, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> so
1: I, I think it's it's good because, and I personally did uh, enjoy watching the movie. Um, now, it's definitely not a movie I'll watch over and over again, but it, it, it was my first time watching it um, and I did enjoy it. Now, it also could be because I'm looking at it from a, a you know, a veteran's perspective and a veteran lens, but like, I think. In itself, there's a lot to analytically break down. And like I was saying, uh, it breaks down into dis- 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 uh, I keep messing up. desensitization of, you know, being in war, the desensitization of um, just, you know, uh, death and all that stuff when you're co- sort of in that situation. It highlights PTSD. It highlights sort of, um, you know, questioning oneself when you're doing these things, right? Yeah. And so... Um,
2: and, and I agree. I think it's important to understand
1: those mindsets. and I
2: think the film does an excellent job of bringing those out to exactly. people like me who haven't had experience. I'm not a military veteran. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know what that truly is. But this movie gives me a somewhat of an idea of that perspective and this may and how you know what war truly is. In my in, exactly. In and that was another big
1: characters. thing um, was. Yeah. A lot of people wanted to paint this as an anti-war movie, and Coppola was like, "No, it's not." And even the the uh, the, the writer of the book was like, "This isn't anti-war. It's just showing what it is." And that, that the the big thing about uh you know this movie and even the war itself is it it, it highlights what war is. I mean, all before this, it was always sort of. Um, uh, 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 Paint it in a certain type of lens as far as movies go, and even the media itself. It wasn't until the Nam War happened that it just all came out uncensored.
0: Well, and Coppola then, even said he's like um, somebody asking this. Uh, he said this isn't a, a movie about Vietnam. He said it is Vietnam. Yeah, you know what I mean. So he was trying to get the actual projection. But see, then now when you see something like this and another movie that we'll cover in the future, uh, like Platoon. Yeah. Um, different ends of the pers- uh, spectrum. Um. Yep. To me, I watched this movie, and to me, I didn't see it as a war movie. Um, I saw more of a man's struggle between good and evil. Oh, for sure. Uh, Especially Sheen, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, You didn't get that sense of camaraderie, like, um, let's say, Band of Brothers or Saving Private Ryan. You didn't see that. Um, I mean, yes, they were soldiers. You know, They were more cared about their surfing boards and all this, you know what I mean? Instead of... Um, hey, I'm my brother's keeper, I got your back, you know what I mean? Even yeah. though you see a little bit of that towards the end of the movie when things get under pressure, you know what I mean? But to me it was more about the struggle of Martin Sheen's character, um, Willard, um, and then how far um, that being in a situation like that can push a man to his limits. So Because yeah. uh, uh, Marlon Brando obviously had been pushed, beyond where he wanted to go and Absolutely, just said yeah. I'm just going to yeah. go out here and start something totally different because you guys keep sending me do this other stuff I don't want to do anyway yeah and then you see Charlie Sheen come up oh, Charlie Sheen sorry Martin Sheen looks just like Charlie Sheen <laughs> <laughs> this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can't especially, of
2: that. especially in this film they're at the age limit where we like the recognize when you think of Charlie Sheen in your mind you see what Martin Sheen looked like in this movie right. almost <laughs>
0: <laughs> right um, but to me it was more about his character and his development than anything else in this movie um, for me I don't know if it deserves to be in the top 100 of all time because there's a lot of movies. Um, But it's one that I'm glad I watched once. Yeah. I don't know if I'll sit down and watch it again, at least, or visit it for. Maybe never again. I don't know. It's, yeah. you, gotta, you gotta be in the right mood set and mindset to watch something. It's, I didn't know what I was going into. Yeah. I thought it was just your typical war movie, blowing up <laughs> Vietnam. You know, napalm in the morning. You know, you always hear these, yeah. these things. It, but, no, no,
1: it's a very it's it does it definitely doesn't glamorize it in the least bit. I mean, it shows sort of the chaoticness. I mean, there's plenty of scenes where you know he can't find who's in charge and like these right. soldiers and he's just like I'm operating on their own. Um, and there's just, yeah there's a, there's just a lot to dissect with this movie uh but you know overall i I, th- I think it's a good movie um now i i would have to like to to say if it's worth being in the you know the top 100 i would literally have to go and see what came out before it and like see if it, anything before it had hit certain topics that this movie hit uh you know that would take you know <laughs> research in itself but right. as far as i know you know, I, I, I feel like it does just because of a lot of the things it highlights and how it highlights it.
0: But see, and it's something else that um, without sitting down and talking to a, a, a soldier that was there in Vietnam, um, because some of the people do not want to talk about that. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like you, Terrence. You don't want to talk about certain stuff that happened over there, and that's fine. You know, we understand that. But I also, um, you think to yourself, if somebody was in Vietnam and they saw this movie, what's their reaction going to be? I know Platoon, if they see that, it's a totally different movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But. Then again, I'm not one to say what's real, what's not, you know, while what, what we're, we're in this movie, while we're in the movie. Yeah. I think the movie could have been a lot better if Marlon Brando would have been on board and actually did what the script did instead of having Coppola and all that. And it would have come in under budget and everybody would have been happy. Maybe that's why Charlie Sheen had his heart attack. I'm um, Charlie. Martin Sheen Martin. had his heart attack. <laughs> I was going to say, just to say Sheen, um, you know, I don't know. But, I mean, to put that kind of stress and then, you know, having Dennis Hopper in them, you know, not even wanting to film on the same set. What kind of, who are you? to say that you're not going to film with me on this. It's like, I'm not filming with Kyle on this podcast. Kyle, call us from your house in uh, (laughs) southern Indiana. You know what I mean? It's
1: oddly, like, it's it's uncommon, but it's just common enough for it to be annoying where you hear a lot of, even today, you know, on set, you know, you'll have certain actors that have disputes. Right, but my thing is,
0: they don't, but but what I'm saying is, with that, it doesn't matter if, if you like Kyle or not. The fact is, you've got a job to do, and they go in there and they do their job as a professional. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to go have lunch on lunch break out the set and all that but when they come back it's really weird when it's two people that are supposed to be lovers in the movie and they they oh, don't even yeah. like each other they have to kiss and all that you know <laughs> yeah, what i mean yeah. but we're going to rattle on long enough with this movie so to me yeah i'd give it about a seven out of ten uh for me that, that's just my perspective so um you can follow us on social media at facebook at the tragedy cinema podcast group um we have a lot of fun in there even when people point out kyle's mistakes and kyle doesn't even realize that he made a mistake so my life
2: is a mistake don't worry. right
0: so let us know let us know what you thought about apocalypse now send me an email at the tragedy at gmail.com we will read them on the air we don't care um but it was definitely a, a definitely a once in a lifetime for me to watch that um it's a, it's a tough watch it oh is. yeah
1: no it's it's a very
0: especially if you don't know movie. what you're watching going into it and mm-hmm. then you get to the end of the scene and you're like what's happening with the water buffalo slaughter and yeah and all this so uh, just parents. What's the be first weird? thing I googled after I, uh, <laughs> I was real? like, "This looks real," and then I looked up like, "Oh, it is." It it is, is? Real. <laughs> I was like, "Man, that's pretty good artwork," you know. <laughs> so, well, I think this episode's uh, rallied on long enough. So, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And Kyle, take it away. And cut.